there, and welcome to Star Wars Lit Lab, a podcast focused on Star Wars stories from around canon, legends, and fan fiction. I'm your host, Kyle Larson, and thank you for joining me this week. I want to start off first by apologizing for the delay. Um, I'd intended to kind of make this a weekly show, and I'm going to just be honest with you guys and uh, be honest with myself. This is probably going to be more of a uh, bi-weekly and potentially even monthly podcast. I think I bit off a little bit more than I can chew when trying to make this weekly, and I want to make sure that um, in preparation for these episodes that I'm giving each subject, whether that's a story or a character, um, their proper due and their proper attention um, so that I can research everything. So um, I appreciate all the support that everyone's given me um, over the last like week and a half or so. I've made some um, few frequent Twitter Twitter updates about uh, uh, falling behind and just kind of uh, drinking from the fire hose that is uh, real life and uh, trying to finish uh, my own writing and also my writing with um, Star Wars Newsnet. So again, I appreciate your patience and thank you for all the kind words that you sent. Um, let's get right into some comics news. Um, I wasn't able to talk about the comics last week, so I'd like to talk about... Um, two of the titles that came out, and I'm going to link to the reviews um, on Star Wars Newsnet and the shows, show notes. One's from me, and that's uh, the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It was a pretty cool issue. Um, we got to see Chirrut, and we got to see inside the Kyber Temple on Jeddah, and we actually got to see Chirrut defending the Kyber Temple. And what I thought was really interesting about this is that Doc Andor who is the um, owner of the Den of Antiquities in Black Spire, um, excuse me, Black Spire on Batuu. Um, this was kind of a flashback scene for him, um, obviously taking place before Rogue One, but I got the sense it was after the fall of the Jedi and the Republic, because um, Chirrut and the rest of the Guardians are um, on their guard, <laughs> as you could say. Um, but Doc Ondor has gone in there to find this uh, very rare... Uh, statue that's actually carved out of Kyber. He went in there with um, Hondo Anaka, who actually makes a, a quick appearance as well. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that he was trying to get this statue, but the statue itself that's made out of Kyber, and Doc Andor said that this is related to his parents somehow, is very similar to um, the cover that, or the statues depicting a scene very similar to the cover of the upcoming Star Wars Myths and Legends, which is going to be released from Disney Publishing uh, later this summer, or maybe even this fall. But um, it's a like a Jedi-looking figure with a sword or a lightsaber, um, and a dragon-like figure approaching very foreboding. So I thought that that was cool and something to kind of keep an eye on. And it turns out that they actually aren't looking for the Skywalker saga, which I originally thought was going to be the the story that this Galaxy's Edge comic told. They're looking for a much more ancient-looking weapon, maybe something more from the Revan times or even earlier because it's more of a sword instead of a lightsaber. So keep your eye on that. And again, I will link to uh, the issue and the review in the show notes. Um, the second issue was Age of Rebellion Vader, which um, Yelena Biden, my co, uh, co-writer, uh, she did the review of that, and it is, um, I'm not really even going to waste my time talking about it. It's, it wasn't a bad issue, but it was just super boring. It was more Vader choking out Imperial officers that think they're superior to him, and you know somehow he gets the last laugh or the last choke, so... Anyway, that's uh, what happened there, but um, we did get some really good issues this week. 
um, which I, I enjoyed. The first one, um, which I just finished writing the review of actually, was um, Age of Resistance, uh, Finn. And this is the first issue in the Age of Resistance, and I was really excited for it because I thought Finn was a great um, character to kind of kick off this uh, this series that's going to take place in the sequel trilogy because he's honestly... He is the first character that we saw um, in the Force Awakens teaser, and I, I really love him. I think he's he's such a an interesting character, and he has such a a story that kind of parallels um, like the old Jedi of the Republic, where you know he was taken from a family that he'll never know. He was raised away, kind of told what to do, and then he he ultimately he went against them. And again, like the Jedi's. Um, approach to this is a little more virtuous than the First Order, but um, at the same time, I do feel like it, it is kind of a problematic thing that um, the saga will have to address that, you know, maybe it's not the best thing to be taking these kids from their <laughs> loving families and raging, uh, raising them in this, like, monastic society where they're told to reject love and, and you know, basic human desires. So, um, but I thought it was a good issue. It, it has a, a cool little story about Finn helping uh, relocate these um, in, indigenous animals that they find beneath um, Starkiller base onto kind of this garbage planet. So that sounds kind of odd, but I think if you read it, it's definitely worth your time. The art is really great. It's by um, uh, Ramon uh, Rosanas, and the coloring is by Guru EFX, who actually does a lot of the Star Wars titles. So that's, um, it's, it's cool to kind of see their, their touches on it. And the, the stories by Tom T Taylor. So the other issue that was up this week is, um, Target Vader. It's the first issue of Target Vader. And I have kind of lamented that we are approaching peak Vader, um, fatigue, but Target Vader is a much more interesting, uh, take on, I guess you'd say Vader's presence. Um, Jordan Pate over at Star Wars Newsnet reviewed this and we were kind of chatting this morning and then reading his review vader is actually more the macguffin of the story and the story actually belongs to um, an old legends character that they brought back and this legends character actually dates back to um, the first marvel comics that were out like in the you know late 70s and early 80s and it's a character named um, bylert valance and he is a bounty hunter. Um, his backstory here is, um, I believe it is different than Legends. He was actually first brought into canon um, in the Han Solo Imperial Cadet series. And you actually see kind of his origin story um, to where he is in Target Vader. And that's where he <clears throat> was wounded in um, Imperial Cadet. And he had to basically have cybernetic uh, or cyborg implants um, to save his life, but the Empire was uh, a bit cheap on that, and he's not very happy about that, and he's being recruited in this issue by the Rebel Alliance to go after Vader, and he originally wasn't going to do it. He's kind of, when we meet him in this issue, he's kind of on the outs. Um, the He's broken the bounty hunter code, and it, it's kind of a cool thing that they, they use, like, um, the people hiring him are like, oh, do you want to uh, go after Vader? And he's like, uh, shit, yeah, I want to go after Vader, and I'm going to go after Vader. So um, I'm very interested to see where this title um, this title goes. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. It is got me kind of excited. I th it made me think of like the old um, TV series we were promised from George Lucas about the, the underworld of Star Wars, um, and also made me really excited for like um, 
you know, maybe some more environments and, and or maybe not environments, not the right word, but maybe more of a tone uh, that we're going to see in The Mandalorian. And also it, it brought me back to Rogue One um, as well. This kind of because you see that um, Valance, the bounty hunter, he has this kind of ragtag crew of bounty hunters that he puts together to take on Vader. And I'm sure they're all going to die. <laughs> I mean, uh, it never really ends well for characters that go up either if they're going against Vader or if they're trying to um, ally with Vader. So we'll see what happens to Valance, but it uh, it is promising. Um, in other news this week, I um, finally finished reading uh, Zoraida Cordova's uh, young adult Star Wars novel, Crash of Fate. It actually isn't going to be out until August, but I was um, blessed with a an advanced copy, and I can't gush too much about this because um, I, I assume there's some sort of embargo on reviews and things like that, but I will tell you guys it is a very cool story, and it's um, very near and dear to my heart. It brought me back to my childhood um, a lot. And I'm currently writing a review, and it should be out in a couple weeks, but um, I just wanted to shout out to Zoraida Cordova that she wrote a lovely Star Wars story, and I, I think you all are going to be very excited about it. Um, I also wanted to shout out to a couple different podcasts I listened to this week that got into some incredibly deep discussions about topics um, that range from anywhere to, well, they're all kind of in the same thread, um, which is redemption. Um, redemption in the Skywalker family and and hope and love and uh, you could kind of uh, all these things run congruent to each other but there's um, Raylo, Bendemption and Reverse Onadala and the first podcast that I listened to uh, was uh, Sky Talkers from uh, Charlotte and Caitlin and they interviewed uh, nerdist writer Lindsay Romain who wrote an incredible article and I'm going to link to it um, a couple weeks ago she's been just putting out some fantastic writing about Star Wars and specifically about Raylo about Ben Solo um, and tying it into a lot of things that we're, we're all kind of talking about on Twitter and musing about the end of the saga whether it be Joseph Campbell or um, different type of different archetypes different mythology different fairy tales that um, George Lucas drew on to create the saga and I highly encourage you to to check out the discussion on Sky Talkers, um, Lindsay Romain's name, I will link to that as well. I, I was very, very inspired by it and and kind of, you know, just, I, I've been dabbling in like Raylo and Ben Demption reading and, and podcasting and like listening to discussions about it. And that was by far one of the best I've heard. Um, and the other one, uh, the other podcast that I'd like to shout out is the uh, WTF, WT Force show. Um, and that was uh, also it's um, Marie Claire and uh, I am spacing the name right now but I will link to it in the show um, but they had a very very deep discussion about uh, reverse on Adala which is uh, basically the theory that Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren and Rey are essentially Anakin Skywalker and Padme um, reincarnated and that this story, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, is not only going to, you know, tie the sequel trilogy together, but it's also going to connect all the way back to The Phantom Menace. And it is a fascinating discussion. It's about a two-hour episode, and they go deep. 
Um, they draw on other people that have talked about this, whether it's YouTube channels that are, you know, more credible than other YouTube channels, I would say. Um, and also different readings, different interviews they cite, um, again, with, you know, the late, great Joseph Campbell and, you know, George Lucas's own words. They even go down into kind of like the minutia of John Williams scoring notes and, and different, different notes that he made um, to kind of have themes run parallel or his own compositions run parallel so it's fantastic discussion and again i'm going to link to all these and i'm very sorry to the guest whose name i completely forgot to put in the notes as i'm recording this gee whiz so anyway that's kind of the business and news for the week um again I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in and for all your positivity, and I think we're going to get right to the main discussion, which is a character that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I've been reading her for a long time. Uh, She made her first debut in uh, number three, issue number three of Karen Gillan's Darth Vader, and I am talking about none other than Chelly Lona Afra. So I thought that I kind of wrote out an essay about this, or not an essay, but I just wrote out some long notes, and I'm I'm not going to read it verbatim, but I'm just going to kind of paraphrase, but I, I think, like, first and foremost, she, Afra really brought a lot of fun and kind of the, the spirit of the first Star Wars back for me. I remember when she showed up in the Vader comic, I just kept thinking, like, you know, kind of she's she's got this snark about her. She's not, you know, she's definitely has like a healthy fear and respect for Vader, but she doesn't take any shit, I guess. And she's she's not necessarily like cowering in fear. And I think that's why she lasts as long as she does or their relationship is as long as she does. But, um, you know, there is that fun and adventure. And, and yeah, there's like some some like goofiness to her in a way, but she does have some serious undertones as well. I mean, she had... Um, she had a rough life and we've only seen glimpses of her childhood, but she's, you know, she's survived a rough childhood. She survived Sith Lords and she's, she's also dealing with, um, trying to resist her own happiness and, and falling in love. And I feel like that's kind of the, the bittersweet aspect of Afra is that she, she has this facade of, um, I guess you would say, you know, playfulness. Um, she kind of jokes around with people. She gives people shit, but at the same time, she's, she know, I think she's very, very vulnerable. She's often, you know, she pushes herself kind of to the edge of, you know, how far she can take that act until she has to finally stop and serious things are happening around her. And then she kind of rises to the challenge. Um, but we've seen her do this um, in the beginning in the Darth Vader series. We saw her start out as, you know, essentially assisting Darth Vader in building this droid army that he wanted to from, you know, old battle droids on Geonosis to kind of take over the Emperor. And then he tasks her down with a much more personal and, and serious task, which is finding out if Padme was... If, if the child had survived Padme's death, the child that he thought they were having. Now, mind you, again, Vader didn't know that they were having twins. Um, so he's <clears throat> he's learned the name of Luke Skywalker, but he he needs to know if this Skywalker is related to him or if there's, you know, another Skywalker in the galaxy. We know that that name now has, like, you know, it's very specific who it applies to, but at the time, like, he didn't know. And 
it's it's interesting because you know we see vader go through this you know we've seen where he was in charles souls vader and we you know we've seen what he's done he's done some pretty horrific things um but he finally gets this kind of this tethered uh this this lifeline back to the life of anakin skywalker that he lost and more importantly the life of padme and that has kind of this hope that has kept him kept him going all this time or kept the light inside of him going we know that there is a light side to him you know because of return of the jedi but also you know in charles soul's comic um we see these little glimmers of hope and i like to think that afra was also kind of a, a light side um to him and kind of brought out some of the the lightness not because she's like light and goofy and fun or anything but because she uh was able to actually find that out and find out that the that skywalker was there um and we all kind of know where this ended because of the comic that eventually she does fear for her life and she tries to betray vader at the end she actually goes directly to the emperor which that takes some (laughs) some serious guts not a lot of of people have done that and survived so afra goes there and uh, vader shows up and the emperor actually congratulates Vader and, and you know, uh, gives him accolades for having the guts to try to build this droid army to take him on. And he's like, oh, that's exactly what the Sith should do. And um, then he's like, you better take care of your friend Afra." And Vader blows her out an airlock. She survives that. And I think that that is a huge turning point for her because she now knows that, like, you know, Vader is looking for something vader's searching for something he's soul searching and she she realizes that you know maybe she hasn't chosen the right side to use her talents from you know afra is an incredibly brilliant person she is a doctor first and foremost and you know we mostly know her as dr afra that's the title of her her um her actual title or the title of her her ongoing series um but she went to the university of Barleth and her we know that her father uh, was an archaeologist but her childhood you know her upbringing was pretty tragic her her father was obsessed with this ancient order called the uh, Edu Expectu and they are this kind of they weren't necessarily Sith but there were these uh, force users that broke off from the Jedi and actually were kidnapping Padawans and torturing them and there's a really cool thing in the I think it's the first issue of her ongoing series where this um, exchange between herself and her father her father's name is Corin Afra, and uh, Corin tells the story he recalls you know how the um, uh, order of Espectu um, how they were actually you know they were brutalized by the Jedi and the Jedi were bad and all that. And he, he tells this pretty horrific tale of how the Jedi, you know, wiped them out. And then Afra is like, oh yeah, well, you know, here's actually how it went down. And then she tells about, you know, the, this, you know, ancient order kidnapping Padawans and harnessing the dark side through them. And, and it's actually pretty like gruesome tale <laughs> in the end, but it's, it's funny to me that Afra, you know, now that she's kind of been on the other side of, of the force or, or all of that that she knows that you know the jedi were probably doing good um and they were also um that that what kind of what vader represents she's seen that up close which is is the dark side um but just it kind of gives it also gives her a very like no bullshit 
attitude. You know, she doesn't just believe what she's fed. She's skeptical um, and she analyzes things. And I, I really like that about her, that she does kind of, you know, she can make jokes and everything, but when it comes down to it, she really does know the score. Um, there's an awesome scene where, uh, and this goes back to the Vader series, where she's actually on Naboo and she's talking to the mortician who prepared Padme for burial. And she's finding out that, yes, there was a child that survived. There wasn't, you know, when Padme died, and this is, excuse me for being incredibly macabre here, but there wasn't, you know, a, a dead child inside of Padme. Um, but she, you know, he, she finds that out, but there's a great scene where she talks about how, you know, she just needed to run to survive because she saw her father kind of possessed by this, this archaeological legend and saw him kind of go off and uh, go looking for it and just abandon her and her mother. And her mother actually gave up on, or didn't give up on her father, but she had to just take her daughter, you know, Chelly, Chelly Afra and leave and raise her. And... I thought that that was, you know, it's a really tragic circumstance is that, you know, she she sees her mom have to give up on her father and, you know, make a hard decision because she knows that she needs to raise her daughter because the, the dad's not going to have any part of it. And then later her mother is actually killed and she says the last thing that her mother ever says to her is run. Um, and so that's kind of what Afra's been doing. And I think that's a great metaphor for, you know, her whole life. Like this ongoing series is rarely do you ever get a sense that Afra has like a home that, you know, she has a ship, but she has, she doesn't really have a home that she ever goes to. She doesn't really have family except for, you know, these two, <laughs> and we'll talk about them too. These two psychotic droids named Triple Zero and BT, who, um, she actually discovered in the first um, first issue that she appears uh, when Vader's having her try to track down um, ways to build a droid army uh, for him. So she finds Triple Zero and BT, and they're these they're basically the antithesis of three um, PO and R two. Triple Zero is designed to uh, be an in interrogator or an interrogator droid, a torture droid. Um, he's got proclivities for uh, killing people for doing all sorts of nasty stuff. He always is kind of rooting for uh, as much death uh, to be around him. And BT is just this, you know, Tonka truck of a droid who has, you know, all sorts in every issue that that BT appears in. There's something going down with him blowing something up or shooting something. So uh, they're they're very interesting um, companions for for Afra. Um, we also learn that she is tied to other um, other people in uh, from her past that have shown up, uh, mainly Sana Staros. Um, Sana, who you know, showed up in the original uh, Star Wars arc, and she was once married to Han Solo, but it was just a big con. Uh, but she and Sana actually had a romantic relationship at one point. They were both uh, attending the University of Barleth, and something happened and their relationship, no one really ever knows, but Sana's clearly um, not happy with Afra, And she, she does care about her because she's come to rescue her a couple times and she's 
she's helped her, but she's also, you know, she's, she knows that Afra can turn on people. And, and, you know, there's part of me that thinks that Sana actually feels sorry for her in a way. And that's why she keeps coming back is because, you know, maybe the romantic, uh, romantic feelings aren't there anymore, but there's still a friendship. And she knows that deep down Afra is this, this good person, which I think all of us reading do, because, you know, we've seen her morality start out, you know, working on, the dark side of things on the bad side of things and as this issue has has pivoted you know from her nearly being killed by vader she's slowly coming towards working towards more i guess things that are that are better um even if she is working with horrible people she is you know doing things for for good reasons and she's not just doing things for herself so i think that sauna sees that and and there's a really interesting arc uh, between them, and I, I feel like this is another huge um, turning point. But it's an arc from the original title, or excuse me, the the titular series uh, Star Wars called um, Escape from Sunspot Prison, and this is where she and Leia and Afra actually have to escape from a rebel prison that they've taken Afra to to turn her into, but then it um, comes under siege and they have to escape and so she spends a lot of time with Sana and Leia and not to say that like you know a, a few hours with these people is going to like turn her on her heels but I think you know she recognizes that she, you know you don't have to have this facade you don't have to have this mask you can be you can be good and you can you can be you know a moral person in this galaxy that is to in my opinion becoming more and more immoral uh, in her view and she's starting to see that like there is a side that she's going to have to choose at some point she can't just have this ambiguous uh, morality which I, I've often referred to in in my comics that she's eventually going to have to slide and, and fit somewhere you know because this isn't a point in time in the Star Wars universe where you can really just kind of coast along you eventually do have to pick a side so I I think that that's a, a big turning point for her because not long after that was kind of when she ended up uh, meeting up with Luke Skywalker and you know Luke's known her he knew her from the sunspot but they had a really cool arc which is called the screaming citadel and she first you know she's she says that she's using Luke but at the same time I you know think that she's genuinely trying to help him but she takes Luke she approaches Luke he's in this cantina and this is an interesting point in Luke's journey too because he's really down on himself about you know I'm never going to be a Jedi I'm never going to learn the force she shows up she knows you know first of all this is really interesting she kept the secret she kept the secret of the galaxy the one that Obi-Wan you know kept the one that Owen Lars and Beru kept and you know the one that Darth Vader is currently keeping Afra could have gone to the Emperor told him all of that been like here's here's Luke Skywalker he's the heir apparent or or she doesn't know that Vader's Anakin but she could have gone to the Emperor and been like hey there's this kid Luke Skywalker that your your boy Vader is really obsessed with but she didn't and actually after Vader tried to kill her she went to Luke to try to help him and and tell him and warn him and look and say look this guy vader isn't just trying to kill you he's trying to capture you for something and, he, and she, she says like i don't think he's capturing you to torture you i think he's capturing you to do something worse and you know so she kind of plants that seed in and luke said that like you know he has to be more vigilant and so she takes him you know it ends up being this it's a really wild arc and i'll link to it in the show notes as well but the screaming citadel is 
is pretty crazy there's um it's this race of like vampires that they suck the force out of um they kind of feed on force sensitive beings so that is really cool but i think that those are all huge uh, moral turning points for afra and i think that um you know as we see her interact with more characters like harris and doula um we start to see her go and and this is more towards the kind of the later issues that we're in now like at Kresker jail um which at Kresker jail that issue this takes place after she has kidnapped um harris and doula and then she eventually gets turned over to um to the empire and put on this kind of this flotilla of junk ships and it's a jail that's haunted by this uh weird uh, fungus or spore i don't know what you would call it but it's a force sensitive spore and it uh it possesses a jedi and she's actually just interested in getting the lightsaber because she can get a, a good amount of money for it but um, it's a it's a really wild tale, and Vader even shows up too. But the Empire ends up sending this Akrasker jail on a collision course to a planet, and Afra has to escape. And she's also um, ends up saving a lot of lives while she's doing it too. So, yeah, Afra is, in my opinion, she's one of one of the good guys, and she's she's gonna be a hero, and and they're kind of grooming her towards this. Um, the other thing that I, I really like, I, I'm, would be remiss if I didn't talk about is, um, Magna Tolvin, who is come into Afra's life as this love interest. And, uh, Magna first, she showed up in the first issue. And so a little bit about her, she is a, an Imperial officer. She was actually groomed by, uh, the investigator from the Vader series, whose name was, uh, Theranoth. And he, um, you know, he was eventually killed by Vader, and that left a real void in her life, um, in her imperial career. So Tolvin um, is, is staunchly loyal to the Empire, which is something that should be noted. Um, when she first meets Afra, she's not amused at all, but slowly they start to develop feelings for one another as they become kind of come into contact, and, and Afra is very flirtatious with her. She talks about her. Um, talks to her and you know it goes from being more of a flirtatious thing till they finally kiss and Tolvin really goes against everything that you know in the empire they're they train their officers to kind of be these monolithic um embodiments of duty and service to the emperor's plan and Tolvin you know she she's not only betrayed by the empire but she also decides consciously to abandon it not necessarily abandon it for the rebel alliance which eventually does happen but i think abandon it for afra i really believe that and i feel like she falls in love um with afra very quick because she's just you know she's this born and bred imperial officer who's never really had a life of her own and she she feels these has these feelings stirring within her and you know when they finally kiss when this this flirtation and these feelings kind of um erupt it's just it it's a huge thing for her and it's it's life-changing it's just like you can't go back and i think that tolvin's story is is just as as wonderful as afra's and you know i always look forward to seeing her pop up in there and seeing that relationship culminate and i'm really rooting for those two to um 
to kind of, you know, find some sort of stability and find some sort of relationship because the, the saddest part of that relationship or the more bittersweet part of that to me is that, um, you know, Afra is really resisting being happy. She's resisting, you know, taking down that wall of whatever you want to say, whether it's strength, whether it's toughness, uh, whether it's snark, even she's um, really refusing to, to take down down that wall to um, to find happiness with Tolvin. And I think that she can and I think that she will. And it's just kind of hard to watch it as it goes on and on. But where we currently are in the book, Tolvin, or in the series, is that Tolvin has joined the Rebel Alliance. And, um, you know, she's not having anything to do with Afra at this point. But I, I think that, you know, if uh, Joystick Chevron, which is is actually <laughs> what she um, introduced her name as to Tolvin. Um, and she's very protective of Tolvin, too, because at one point, you know, Tolvin went searching for who Afro was in the archives, and Afro warned her, like, do not go looking for me. Do not look anything up about me, because if you do, then you're going to, your search is probably going to get flagged, and, and Vader's going to come looking for you. And, you know, she's she likes to pretend like she doesn't care, but she definitely cares when it comes to, to Tolvin. So I'm, I'm rooting for those two very much. And I, I think, you know, the, that Karen Gillan has, has written that relationship very, very well. And, and it's, it's going to be so rewarding when they're finally together. You know, I, as far as ships go, you know, that you don't really need to ship them, but I, I certainly do. So it's, um, it's a wonderful thing. And I think that it's cool that, you know, Tolvin not only has has found the, you know, the ways to bring out the best part of herself in Afra, but also, you know, Afra, she's also brought out the best part of Afra. And she is going to eventually, I be, think, be the one that kind of brings Afra over to the Rebel Alliance. And, and Afra will start, you know, choosing these these people to use her talents for, to use her archaeological things for. So, and I also think that there is um, a really cool setup too that they're they're providing for Afra because she's in a position to travel the galaxy and you know work and try to find uh, all these like ancient mysteries of the galaxy. And we know that there's this huge gap between uh, Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, where Luke is out there searching for Force artifacts. We've seen a glimpse of it. But it would be really cool to see Afra kind of going around the galaxy too, and not necessarily connected to Luke. I was just using that as as a comparison, but kind of hopping from planet to planet and and checking in and, and you know like s helping repair what the damaged Empire has done to def you know probably decimated cultures all over the galaxy, and there's probably parts of galactic history that have to be repaired and have to be the stories have to be told again. And I you know again I. I I kind of see her as this and and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take away like the the femininity of the character because I think her the feminine perspective that she brings to the series is much needed. Um, you know, she is the only female that has her own ongoing series. And so I I but I do, you know, kind of think of her in the spirit of Indiana Jones. Um, you know, if Indiana Jones had like at one point worked for the Nazis, I guess that's kind of what you would you would talk about with with Afra. So I, I think that she, you know, there's a lot of adventures to be told by her. 
Um, currently, like the bulk of the the writing done uh, for Afra has been done by Karen Gillan. He created the character in Vader. He wrote, um, you know, her arc in Screaming Citadel. He's also wrote the bulk of her ongoing series. But um, Simon Spurrier has taken over and did a fan has been doing a fantastic job but um you know personally i would you know i i don't i would root for simon Spurrier to write this book you know as long as he could but i would really love to see a woman write this um you know my mind immediately goes to to jody hauser because um she has just been knocking it out of the park with star wars comics and i think that she her her style would would bring a lot of um freshness to the afro series um and it's uh it's you know it's kind of it's strange to me that you know this is like the prominent like marvel star wars comic character right now or female character excuse me um but like the only woman really that has worked on these books has been um artist ashley Witter, who who knocks it out of the park every every issue with the covers the if you if for no other reason you go looking for afra go just google afra and look at some of the covers that ashley witter has done they're just they're phenomenal they're really really cool um i wish i had some of them hanging on my wall right now uh <laughs> but um that is uh i guess a bit about afra so i you know i hope i didn't skirt over too many things um, but I, I think that it is, I, I just think she's a really a great character, and I think it's would be the perfect character to bring to life in a, another, you know, a live-action series or an animated series, and it might even be preferable to be an animated series, but I think that this character has, you know, assuming that she survives the arc and survives the era of the original trilogy, I can't think of a better character to have a ton of adventures with and go exploring around the galaxy and establishing um, things in the galaxy. Um, so I will link to a lot of the titles that I mentioned, um, specific arcs. Again, the best way to get to know this character, I would say, is um, you know start with the Vader series. She appears in issue number three. Um, there's really really um impactful issue um important issue is uh, uh star wars number 25 that's an important one as well the screaming citadel arc is um important she also appears in the vader down arc which is a huge event and that is where vader is kind of taking on the entire um an entire rebel squad all on his own on this um this planet called Vros varos i think is how you'd pronounce it uh, and she shows up there and that's how she ends up in sunspot prison so that's a good one um and then all of her titles um all of her issues in in her ongoing series but i'd say if you were going to look for one specific arc um worst among enemies is one that has that just kind of came up and that is where she's tethered to triple zero on this planet where it's it's an extremely like imperial loyalist planet it's an authoritarian um authoritarian uh government really really brutal justice system and she and triple zero are tethered together by this explosive charge by uh, dr evazon i think is how you pronounce his name but the you know the we're wanted for i'm wanted for the death system in 12 or death penalty in 12 systems or um 
so they are tethered together by this explosive and they have to kind of have this running man um, contest otherwise they are going to explode and the whole uh, planet is watching them as they're doing this and slowly as they're watching it you know the empire is watching this planet and the galaxy kind of react to and and get a glimpse of hope from Afra and triple zero doing what it takes to to survive um so that's that's that would be my my recommended if you're gonna get anything from the character check out that arc it's it's really good um and again i will link to the show notes in that that's it for the main discussion um so I'm just going to start signing off a little bit, but again, I wanted to thank all of you for tuning in. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can reach me at starwarslitlab at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at starwarslitlab. Um, I try to respond as well as I can. Um, please, if you have a few seconds, head over to iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or SoundCloud and write a little review, maybe give us a couple stars, who knows. Um, I like to kind of hint at what I'm going to talk about next episode, and I'm not going to say next week because I I don't think it'll be ready next week because this is a pretty big topic and I want to make sure I get this right, but I'm going to do an episode about the Erso family, Jin Erso, Galen Erso, and more specifically Lyra Erso, um, because I love Rogue One. I love that movie very much. It's a movie that gets better each time I watch it. But if I did have to make one criticism and one complaint, and it's not even a criticism or a complaint, it's more of like if I had a wish, if there was one thing I could add to it, it's that Lyra Erso, um, her story and her place in the Erso family, it's really is kind of, um, it, it's not there. And she does have a huge story and there was a novel called catalyst that tells that story and that's kind of the story i want to talk about i'm not necessarily going to go into like a huge in-depth review of catalyst um, but i will reference it quite a bit it's an excellent book by james Lucino. if you haven't watched it it was or excuse me if you haven't read it it was released about a month before row one came out and i i read it you know I, I read it in like I think a day. It was it's such a good read. It's it mainly um, kind of puts the the focus on the relationship between Orson Krennic and Galen Erso, but it also Lyra plays a huge role in it, and you really see that this family is um, it is she is the bedrock. She is the foundation of the family, and again, that's why I thought it was. Uh, not a mistake because I, I know that her death added a lot of weight, but it was unfortunate that, you know, a strong female character like her was taken out of the film so early. And um, this is my way of kind of paying tribute to not only, you know, Jin and Galen, but also the the heroism that Lyra contributed to the character. So I'm going to be talking about the Erso family um, in episode four. So... Thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you for all your positive feedback. Thank you for everything. And I hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.